Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Welcome to another episode of Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Now, you might think I sound a little different to your normal host, and yes, that is correct. Georgie Dickerson here, Matthew's daughter, filling in this week for Barnsley. Dad, hello, how are you? Good, thanks, Georgie, and thank you for filling in. Mark is away this week, so people probably did pick up the voice was ever so slightly different to Mark's voice, but Mark will be back with us again. But thank you for filling in, and hopefully you'll do every bit as good a job as Mark does. Yes, slightly different to Mark's voice, a little higher pitch, I would say. Now, you had a big weekend this weekend, didn't you? Jump into any supercars by any chance? They didn't let me get into the supercars at Bathurst, but certainly got to watch the supercars. I did go down to the Bathurst 1000, and it's an exciting race, the 60th anniversary of the great race. I went down there at the invitation of the Bathurst mayor. One of the things that I find interesting as you talk to other mayors around the state, 128 mayors around the state, I don't get to talk to all of them, But in particular, the regional mayors, I'm a big fan of communicating, making sure we do things together in some respect. It used to be when I was growing up in Dubbo that it was a lot of competition. You wanted to be better than Orange and better than Bathurst and better than Tamworth. And when I got on council, I actually discovered that maybe we didn't have to try and compete against each other so much. What we could do is work out ways to collaborate and work together the Evo Cities program that we started way back in 2010 was one of those ways that we did that. And we're still doing it now. We've got regional cities, New South Wales. And when the Bathurst mayor invited me down to the races, I thought, what a great opportunity. And it's a brand new mayor. So we had Robert Taylor was the mayor up until the end of September or almost the end of September. Every mayor that doesn't have a popular elected mayor had to go through an election process. I went through mine a couple of weeks ago. And so there's a new mayor down there, a gentleman by the name of Jess Jennings. So it was a good chance to talk to him. And you might say, what does the community of Dubbo get as a benefit from me going down to the races? And and that's a valid question. One of the things is that relationship building. But the other thing is, when you've got an event like that, you've got lots of people that come along and want to be part of that event. So, for example, the Minister for Small Business came along, Steve Camper. I've sent him some letters, we've communicated, I've never met him, so a great opportunity to meet Steve and talk about uh, some things that I think were very important in relation to a workplace hub. I met his chief of staff, and as a result of that already, they've put out a media release that came out during the week on the basis of the conversation that I had with that chief of staff, for example. Some other mayors from around the area, other councillors there, so a good opportunity to talk to lots of people, and also... Tyler Everingham. And so he's not a regular supercar driver, but he's been able to drive at Bathurst for a few years. And Tyler was there. Now their car qualified in 28th place, so they're not at the point end of the field, but he's still there competing. Not bad. And I got to go down and talk to Tyler during the race, because of course you've got two drivers working together in the race. When Tyler was in the pits, I went down and had a chat to Tyler. They managed to get all the way up to 18th place from their 28th place on the grid. And again, they're not winning the trophy, but they're there competing, they're circulating. And Tyler, for a young kid from Dubbo, I think is going fairly well. So a whole range of things there that you might get out of an event like that. But mainly it's that relationship building and making sure that you're talking to mayors from around the state, mayors from other cities to see how we can do things better. It's a great event at Bathurst, 200,000 people. So it's a great event for Bathurst. 
Do we want a supercar event in Dubbo? Yeah, that'd be fantastic, but we haven't got the infrastructure like Bathurst has got. But then we've got a zoo, so there's other things that we've got as well. So great event, and uh, thanks to Jess. I've already sent Jess an email off to thank him for inviting me down, and I'm sure we'll collaborate on things going forward in the future. Now we have a very important vote overnight, the referendum, the yes or no, it's been uh, the hot topic of the political sphere for some time now. Now council did host a panel to discuss the referendum on Tuesday night. Why exactly is council showing interest in this? I suppose it is a federal national issue. What's council got to say about it? Well, there are some councils around the state and in fact councils around the nation that have taken a, during the whole process with the referendum, took a position, took a yes-no position. And we discussed that at council because some organisations have taken that position as well. And what we decided on as a group of councillors was that it wasn't appropriate for us to take a position. And I'm talking about a yes position or a no position. We didn't think it was appropriate for council to tell people how to vote in a referendum. But we also agreed that it was incredibly important that people got the right information, made sure they were educated about the vote, made sure they had access to information. So some of our councillors talked about some different ideas and what we finally resolved was to hold a forum. And in that forum, we wanted two people for a yes or who were keen on a yes vote, two people who were keen on a no vote, obviously a moderator and some questions from the audience. And so we ended up with that. We actually had a bonus one where we actually had a person that was a maybe and we thought that was quite interesting as well. So we had Nick Lowther from ABC Western Plains as our moderator. And basically, probably close to 50 people came along to the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre. The forum went for a bit over an hour. But we actually posted that forum. It was live stream. We posted it on YouTube as well. And already we've had over 300 people who watched that before the actual vote on Saturday. So I think, again, it's a valid question. Why is council getting involved in something that is a federal election issue? But at the same time, I think it's still important that we can provide some trusted commentary, a trusted voice on that and present both sides of the argument. So it's quite a fascinating process. And actually, the forum itself, I think some really good points were made. I particularly enjoyed the point made. One of the people on our panel was Councillor Pam Wells. And she actually made the point that when people say they own the land, she takes a different view that says that we're all just custodians of the land. And I thought that was a good point. No one really owns the land. The land owns us. We'll all return to the dirt at some stage, but we're custodians for a period of time. So a good forum and I think a a really good outcome to get that information out there. Now, you met with the CEO of Squadron Energy in Dubbo recently. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about uh, what that discussion actually involved? Yeah, absolutely. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit more about the res in general. So Squadron Energy is a provider of renewable power. And in our renewable energy zone here, the Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone, we've got 37 different projects. Some of those are already up and running. Some of those are getting to the point where they're in planning processes or different stages along the process. Squadron Energy have got two really important projects in there. They've got the Ungla Wind Farm. I hope I pronounced that right. U-U-N-G-U-L-A. I say it Ungla, so hopefully it's correct. And that's a 
wind farm there around the Wellington area, 414 megawatts that particular wind farm is. They've also got the Spices Creek wind farm, which is 730 megawatts, and that takes in part of Dubbo Regional Council area and part of Warrumbungle Shire Council. So just with those two projects alone, that's over a gigawatt of power. All those 37 projects that we've got add up to about 11.5 gigawatts of power that will be provided from our renewable energy zone. One thing that I'm keen to do with all of these different proponents is talk about how the community can benefit from all of these different projects. It's great. By the time we're finished, this little renewable energy zone here will be providing 42% of the power for the entire state. So it's pretty pretty impressive. We want to make sure, though, our community gets some benefits out of that. And so meeting with the CEO of Squadron Energy, that was really a chance to talk about how they're progressing, what things we can work on together. And it's much more than just a little bit of money given out to a soccer team to buy some new soccer shirts. That's lovely, but we want to see transformational change. We want to see a legacy left by these projects as they go on and keep producing power. And that's one of the things that I stress with all of these different proponents that I talk with. And just what can the community see for the benefits for these renewable energy projects? Well, at the moment, probably not a lot. We've got some community benefit funds that some money goes into the community. I went down recently, for example, to Mumble Public School and there was an opening of a yarning circle there that was paid for by the Bedenga Wind Farm Community Benefit Fund. So you're seeing some little bits like that. But the reality is we've got a lot more in the future. 6,000 people will be needed. These, these projects will go for the next 15 years. So with all these extra people in the communities, they'll be buying coffees, they'll be going to supermarkets, they'll be needing to stay somewhere, they'll need to go and play some cricket on the weekend. So you'll see a, a huge change in the communities there. But more importantly, we want to see these community benefit funds being injected into the community. Um, do you know how many extra jobs these projects are actually creating for the community? Well, the 6,000, we've done some work on this because they're all different projects. Each project will tell you how many jobs they might be providing. So we've sat back and looked at that overall. And so we estimate 6,000 direct jobs in the community. So these different projects will have 6,000 jobs now. They're just not just the renewables. There's a couple of other projects as well. But we wanted to get a handle on how much extra accommodation we would need. So there's 6,000 direct jobs. There'll be some spin-off jobs, some ancillary jobs as a result of that as well. So... For a population of 55,000, quite a big change. You're talking about around 10% of a change in population there. Some people do complain about renewables because they're only there for a construction pulse. They're not like a mine where you've got all these people working throughout the life of the mine. But the reality is this construction pulse will go for 15 years. Sometimes mines only go for 15 years. So that's pretty exciting for us. And again, every chance they get to talk to some of these different energy companies because they've got different ways they might approach things. But what I really liked about Squadron Energy, their approach is they actually want to make a real difference in the community as well and make sure they leave a lasting legacy in these communities they're in as well. Now, it was a big weekend of cricket, the state championships, the Vets cricket, the over 60s. Now, how good was this event for Dubbo? It actually went for longer than a weekend. It went all week. So last week, from Monday to Friday, they played games all throughout the week. They did tell me when I went down, I I get the honour of tossing the coin at some different events. And so I got to toss the coin on the first match. And they did tell me that they've got a rest day in the middle because some of the guys need to rest their hamstrings. By, by the <laughs> or they the need to 
rest their feet and sit at the pub all day probably. Well, I, I think there's a little bit of that that goes on. You're probably right there. But this is a, a great championship process. So this is called the VCNSW. So this is the Veterans Cricket New South Wales. And it's the over 60 state championship. So that was played in Dubbo during the week. For the first time ever, we had a team in these championships from around this area. It was called the Macquarie Valley team. And the coin toss I did on the first morning was with the Macquarie Valley team playing. And I was talking to a few of the guys there that were legends back in the day in first grade when I was playing cricket. When I was in my early 20s playing some cricket around Dubbo, there were some of these names there that were scoring centuries every week and taking five wickets every week. And here they are, looking a few years older than when I remember them playing, but they still love the game. And there's a few of the guys there telling me that usually they'll... They need a few extra players in the normal 11 because there'll be hammies, there'll be calf muscles, there'll be usually a few lower leg injuries, not from balls hitting them, but just from running around in the field. But they all look pretty sprightly, they look pretty fit. And again, these sort of events for Dubbo, we do have lots of events like this where you'll get an injection of hundreds of people, they come along. We actually, in some ways, I mean, we'll, we'll take any event, but those veterans events sometimes are even better for the community from a financial perspective because they're at the stage of their lives where they've normally got a few extra dollars to spend. So they will want to go out to a nicer meal. They want to stay at nicer motels. So they're probably better for the community than some of the youth events sometimes. But again, we'll take them all. And essentially, it's this number that we use. Typically, we say one person staying one night in Dubbo adds about $200 to the economy. That's a very rough guide, but it gives you an idea of when you have an event that brings hundreds of people in and they stay all week, there's a huge amount of money that's injected into our economy. And that's from places like motels and pubs and cafes and even a bit of retail shopping. When people have got time on their hands, they might even go and do a bit of retail shopping. They might need some new clothes after they've gotten so much grass on their current outfits. They might have been down to some of the local sports locations as well. You're probably right. And maybe the physios in town do a bit of extra work as well. Now, the Legacy Shared Pathway project is on track for March 2024. What is the actual process um, that's going on around here? Well, most people would recognise there's some work going on, and this is in the section along the river behind Ollie Robbins Oval, so between, say, Riverdale and Dubbo Square along that section there. And this is part of the big picture project to, first of all, do the shared pathway, which I'll get to in a moment, but also then to do some form of amphitheatre for outdoor entertainment, outdoor concerts, that type of thing, around Ollie Robbins Oval. So a pretty exciting project. The first part of this is where there used to be Track O'Reilly went along beside the roadway. Again, this would be behind Ollie Robbins Oval. We're converting all of that into a shared pathway, but with four viewing platforms. And that whole area then will have people walking along it. You'll still be able to take a car along there, but very slowly. It won't be an area where cars will be going very quick. You'll still be able to ride a push bike along there, for example. But the four viewing platforms look absolutely, or will look fantastic. The plans look fantastic. What was happening down there, and I got to go and jump on a bit of machinery and and play like a a, um, builder down there. At one stage there, they were brave enough to let me on their equipment. But they're using something called screw piles. Now, normally when you're building something like a viewing deck and you want to have that sticking out as a cantilever project, you need some supports in the ground. So normally you'd either drive supports into the ground or you'd dig out something and and fill it with concrete. The problem is along there, it's along beside the river, 
there's lots of trees there, lots of tree roots, so we had to be very careful where we put these. So we did this cool project where we actually got some underground imaging done along the areas where we wanted our various platforms, our four platforms to stick out, and looked at where the roots were. And then the most efficient way was this project or this concept that I've never seen before called screw piles. So rather than dig a big hole out, they actually have a small piece, it might be, say, three metres long of tubing. And at the end, it's literally got a, a screw, a thread on the end of it. And then it's attached to a bit of equipment that just screws it into the ground. So it's not disturbing the earth that much. You can actually move it around tree roots so you're not damaging trees. And then you just keep driving it down and there's a pressure meter on the equipment. And when it gets down to the point where a certain amount of pressure is required to keep screwing that into the ground and that pressure needs to be applied for a certain amount of time, then when it gets to that point, they know it's in the ground solid enough with friction holding in the ground that they can stop it there so it doesn't go any deeper than it needs to go. They cut them all off at the same height then and then build the deck on top of that. So it's quite a revolutionary concept. There's a guy named Damien Carpenter there, a very appropriate name for a builder, <laughs> and he owns the company that was actually doing that work. David Payne Constructions won the tender for the whole project and they contracted this particular company out to do that work. So they Is let me on one of the pieces. It's quicker. You're spot on there. It actually is quicker to do it. It's cheaper, cheaper? and yeah. more, yeah, and more efficient to do it. So it's it's got a lot of benefits there. It is relatively new, so people are still discovering it. But in this particular project, it was perfect. But I got to get on one of the pieces of equipment and do a bit of the screw piling there. I must admit, after I left, they took it out again, so it wasn't one of the permanent <laughs> ones it. there. <laughs> well, probably redid it, but no, it was it was an extra one there. They let me have a little play with there, but that'll look really good along that area once we finish that. And those viewing platforms looking out across the Macquarie River will be fantastic. There was some talk at one stage that it was all going to be turned into a boardwalk, so it was out over the river. But the expense of doing that, you could use that same screw piling technique, but you can imagine if you're doing it out over the river, the length of those screw piles and the depth they'd have to go into would be quite horrendous. So it, it would just blow the budget completely for that. But that's a exciting project. Should be on track for March next year. And then again, we've got to start working on that next part of it, the amphitheatre part. There's a review underway of the 16 community committees uh, and involving 236 community members. Just exactly what do these community committees do and why is there a review being undertaken? Well, there's a whole range of different things they do. One of the things that we found important when we got onto council, this is a new group of councillors, was that back in the old Dubbo City Council days, we had a number of community consultative committees. And those community consultative committees were uh, on a range of different topics, things that were important to people. And you basically had the group that would meet with councillors, with council staff, and make decisions about what was happening. Actually, that's not correct. They didn't make decisions. They made recommendations about things that were needed in the community. For some reason, after the amalgamation, all those committees were basically removed. And I think we ended up with close to zero, maybe there were one or two committees there. When this new group of councillors was elected, one of the things we talked about was getting committees back up and running and back up and running in a better way or just restoring some of those committees. So we had a big planning workshop and in that we talked about all the different committees we had over all the years, over the last couple of decades, and then put together a number of committees. 
So we end up with 16 committees. And so they've got different things. You've got a Climate Change and Resilience Committee. You've got a Double Regional Livestock Market Advisory Committee. We've got Public Spaces Tree Committee. We've got things like the Villages Committee, the Wellington Town Committee. So a whole range of different committees. And as you correctly said, 236 different community members. The review there is from our staff, driven by our staff, just to see whether or not these are the most efficient ways to deliver some of the outcomes for the community. How's the engagement level? What's happening with the engagement, for example? How do we get better communication with the community? And so I'm not that concerned that we're going to get rid of all these committees at the moment. It really is just a review. I'd be disappointed if we did get rid of these committees. I certainly think there's a lot of value in them. Maybe it's a chance to look at them and see if which ones are working well and, and ones that aren't, maybe just review some of those, review the processes, review how we do things. But I think it's really important that we maintain this link between the community and the council in a whole range of different ways. It's all well and good to say councils are out there in the committee, in the community, talking to different people, working out different ways to do things. But this slightly more formal process for these community committees, I think, is really important. So there's a review going on at the moment. There's been a workshop we've held already on those committees just to talk about them. We had some surveys that were done with those committee members and we'll work forward through there. There'll be a report that will go through to the October meeting of council and we'll work through that and see the best way to continue to engage the community in what council does. The 2023 season finishes with a laugh, DRTCC. What is this all about? Is it funny? Are we actually going to be laughing? Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> if, if you've got a sense of humour, you will be. One of the things that I think people were surprised about with our theatre, when the theatre was being discussed as being built, this is the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre, some people in the community were thinking they don't really want to go along and watch ballet or philharmonic orchestras. What they didn't realise was that the variety of entertainment that would be presented would be incredible. And so the Sydney Comedy Festival, when they go on their roadshow tour, come through Dubbo. And I know when I go along to that whenever I can, I look around the audience and I say, wow, I don't know some of these people. And they're not people you'd normally expect to see at the theatre. But again, comedy appeals to them. That's fantastic. There's probably a lot of those people that are from out of town as well because typically over the years around about 30%, maybe even a little bit higher, of people that go to our theatre come from outside the 2830 postcode. So it's actually a tourism attraction in its own right. But the 2023 season, this is the DRTCC season, finishes, and it was Dare to be Different was the name of the season, but it finishes at the beginning of November, and the last item in that whole season is the Sydney Comedy Festival Showcase. So 3rd of November, if you haven't got tickets to it then and you're interested in comedy, go out and get some because we'll do a new season launch for 2024 later on in November and we'll talk about some of the acts and some of the things that are coming through in the 2024 season. But this is the last one for 2023. If you haven't been to a comedy festival, I'd say definitely go to it. We normally get both the Melbourne and Sydney comedy festivals come along and various other comedians we've had, the likes of Arne Doe, that type of thing that come along. So it's a really good thing to get along to if you want to go and see something a bit different. The 
standing committees elected three new chairs on Thursday night. Which councillors uh, and what committees will they be chairing? So these are our standing committees, which, as you would know from your past history in Dubbo, is the, the three committees that feed into the council meeting. So these don't make decisions, they make recommendations to council. And so we've got three of those standing committees. There's the Infrastructure Planning and Environment Committee. That's now chaired by Councillor Matt Wright. So Councillor Josh Black was the chair of that over the last year and nine months. And these are changing now because the chairs of our standing committees typically line up with the mayoral term. So we just had a mayoral election in September, and these are the first meetings now after the mayoral election. So they normally go up for election for those particular chairs. The second committee is the Culture and Community Committee. Councillor Jess Goff was the chair of that, and she's stayed on as the chair of that. And then Councillor Shibley Shoudry is now the chair of the Corporate Services Committee, and Councillor Damien Mann was the chair of that. And he was actually keen to see other councillors get some increased knowledge and learn more, get some more experience. And because we've got some new councillors on there, he was keen to see some other councillors have a go, so Councillor Shoudery has put his hand up for that. So that was the election process. Wasn't quite as tense as the mayor and deputy mayor election process, mm-hmm. I must admit. And there was only one person who stood for each of those, so there was easy decision. A vote. It, exactly right, an easy decision. There wasn't a vote needed for those three. And to be fair, there was some discussion with councillors amongst ourselves before those committee chairs because it is good to share that around because it actually makes it for more effective meetings. When you've had people that have been a chair of a committee, you actually are probably understanding of the process better. So when you're sitting in a committee or a council meeting, then you probably understand it better and probably help the chair out if you've actually had that experience on the other side of the coin. Yep, definitely. So the Infrastructure Committee, the Draft Net Zero Framework was out for public exhibition. Uh, What exactly do those submissions look like? Well, this is a really important project and our whole process around our net zero framework is is a really important process. We have talked about it before on the podcast that one of the issues we've got is that we've got a tip. We've got an area there that creates a huge amount of of our carbon emissions. About 62% of all councils' carbon emissions come from our tip. Now, we can't ignore that. We've got a tip that's still part of our council operations there are other councils who might find it much easier to get to net zero because they don't have a rubbish tip because not every council has a rubbish tip. So that's a real challenge for us. This is a particular bit of framework that we've been talking about. It's been through a council meeting before. It did go out on public exhibition. And the public must have been pretty happy with it generally because we got two submissions. They had a few comments to make about it, a few minor changes in there, and, and that was fine. But really, it's something that I think the community can be quite proud of. And now we've got to keep working towards that net zero. It's going to be tough for us, but we've got to just take on that challenge and go forward with it. Now, also part of the Infrastructure Committee, the building summary, what does that look like? Well, not as good as it did last month. We talked about this last month with Mark Barnes when when he was hosting there last month and we talked about the building summary. So every month we've got a summary that comes through just to give the community and councils an idea of 
how many development applications are being put through council. And we break that up a little bit. We have single dwellings, so a normal house. We have other residential dwellings, so they might be a dual occupancy or flats or anything that's more than just a single dwelling, and then the total number of dwellings approved. And after July and August, despite some of the rate rises and despite some of the activity in the building game increasing prices quite dramatically, we're talking about anywhere from a 30 to a 50% increase in building prices over the last three years, there were still pretty strong numbers. And we also do an extrapolation from each of the months as we go throughout the year to give us an idea of what the summary will be or the total number of building um, DAs will be by the end of the financial year. When we looked at that last month after the first two months, and I did say at the time, it is only two months, so we've got to be careful extrapolating out at 12 months. But when we looked at that after the first two months, very positive. In fact, we were on track for the highest number of building approvals ever in the history of Dubbo City Council or Dubbo Regional Council. 488 is that record way back in 2015-16, and we're on track for over 500 based on the first two months. We did note a bit of a slowdown. So, for example, in our single dwellings in July, we had 17. In August, we had 25. In September, that dropped all the way down to 11, which is a bit of a drop. And then again, with our other residential dwellings, it dropped as well. But after the first three months of the financial year, doing that same extrapolation process, we're going to hit 476 number of approvals. That's still not too bad. It's still not far off that 488. And again, that's a an extrapolation over three months. So it's still got a fair bit of room to move up or down. But I think there's still a bit of strength in the building industry in Dubbo and people still want to move to Dubbo, which obviously they need somewhere to live when they move here. So it's good to get that summary through each month. And again, not as strong as I'd like it to be, but I think there's a fair bit of strength in terms of that big picture there. Now, some money is going to be given to the Community Services Fund. It's recommended, allocated over $100,000. Who do you actually give this money to? Well, this is an interesting one, isn't it? We've got money that we give out to various uh, organisations. And one of the things I love about this is when we go along and I get the pleasure of handing out these checks to these various organisations, and I I get them, I put them on the spot, and I say to each organisation, just give us a bit of a snapshot of what you're going to do with this money. And so the money that they get, typically a lot of these organisations get money, amounts of money like $1,000, it might be $500, it might be a few thousand dollars sometimes. But what they do with that money is quite incredible because they've got volunteers working hard for the organisation. They've got other money they bring in from a whole range of different areas. But this particular fund, and this is one again, that people in the community may remember, we used to have two different funds, and I think it was confusing for community groups, and I think it was also confusing for councillors. What was the difference between these two funds? Because they were very similar in those two funds. So we previously, a couple months ago, made some changes where it was essentially put together as one fund. So it used to be called a community services fund and a community assistance fund, but we've rolled them in together. We've taken all the money that we had allocated for those two and put them into one. There's $150,000 a year we have, and we do two rounds of those. And so in those two rounds, $75,000 each time. Now, we actually gave out more, or again, this is a recommendation from a committee meeting, but the recommendation is to give out a little bit more than $100,000, which is more than $75,000, which I'm sure you've noted. And the reason for that is we didn't give out all the money last year, so we've rolled that over. But that seems like a good thing, except 
we got a lot of applications this How time. How many? We received 25 applications and the total value of those was $213,145. So that means that obviously we're never going to be able to give everyone all the money they asked for. So we ended up giving some money to 13 different organisations out of those 25 that applied. And it's a fairly stringent, or not a fair, it is a very stringent process that our staff go through and look at all these applications to make sure they meet the criteria. And then they get those recommendations go through to committee meeting and eventually through to council. And just how do you decide what community groups get how much money? And that's one of the things that councillors have the ultimate decision-making process. What we do rely on, though, is our staff to go through all these applications. And they've got to make sure they meet the eligibility criteria, got to make sure they're going to be for the community, not-for-profit organisations, a whole range of different areas, and then they get brought through. Most of the time, councillors would probably go along with the recommendations from our staff. But at the same time, we do actually have a look at some of those and make sure we're happy with the money that's going in those various locations or some that are recommended to not be funded. We might make some changes to those. So in our business papers, people can read through all those different organisations and see some of the things that they're doing with that money. But again, ultimately, those final decisions will be made by councillors at the council meeting in two weeks' time. And I guess if a community group missed out, would you encourage them to apply for the next round? Yeah, there's a couple of things with that. Sometimes looking at why they missed out would be important. So if they've missed out for a reason that means they'll never get the money, then there's no point applying over and over. And certainly in our business papers, the recommendations where there was money not being recommended to be given out to organisations, there's usually a note as to say why some of that money shouldn't be given. So community organisations can read that, but they can also have discussions with our staff but sometimes it can be a bit simple, Georgie, and sometimes it's something like an acquittal. So if you've received money previously from council, then there's an acquittal process where you've got to show that that money was spent in the way you said it was going to be spent. And we find sometimes, because they're volunteer organisations, they haven't always got the time to do those acquittals. And so then they might apply for some money again and they get rejected. And there were a few that were rejected on this basis. They get rejected because they haven't done the previous acquittals. So that seems like a fairly simple thing, but I, I've been involved in community groups and in volunteer organisations. It's hard to find the time sometimes to get some of these things done. So yes, I'd encourage people to apply in the next round, but in the meantime, have a look at why they missed out and exactly what they might do to improve the application next time or whether they're never going to be funded, for example. Now, another program, the Event Assistance Program, where is this funding going to? Well, we've got two little streams in the Event Assistance Program. It sounds like there's lots of money that council is giving out. I don't want to have ratepayers get the wrong idea. We are very tight on our budget, so we don't want to just hand out money all over the place. But if we can see that money that we give to community organisations can be used to benefit the community, then it's worthwhile spending some of that money. So for example, we've got two different funds, the Community Events Fund and the Destination Events Fund. So these are both to do with events, as the name suggests. The Community Events Funds are for not-for-profit events that deliver some social or cultural benefits to people in the Dubbo Regional Council LGA. So they must 
show that's got broad community appeal and there's some form of entertainment or engagement value. So we only have $10,000 in that fund for the whole year. Maximum per application is $3,000. And we've got a number of applications for that. And in fact, for that $10,000, there were applications that came in at $26,500. So again, there are obviously some of those groups that didn't get that money or some of those groups that had a reduction. So for example, one group might have asked for $3,000 and we've recommended they get $1,100. So there are different groups that we've got to give less amounts to there. The second one, the one that's got some more money in the budget is the Destination Events Fund. So there's $30,000 in that. And these are for bigger events. So we talk about events that deliver significant economic or reputational benefits around the Dubbo Regional Council. And so you can ask for up to $10,000 for that. And again, we've got a maximum of $30,000 there. So we received a number of applications. And again, I'd like to have more money in the budget to deliver this. But we received applications for $74,905 for that $30,000. So obviously we couldn't deliver on all of that. So there are some of those groups that got less than they asked for. In fact, I think just about all of the groups that applied for money got less than they asked for. But hopefully they can turn that money into a lot of money. And one of the things that we talk about in there is tell us how much you think it will deliver in terms of economic benefit for the community. And how important are these event programs, events, sorry, for the community? They can be absolutely fantastic because they do deliver economic benefits for a small investment from council, but they can grow into much bigger things. And so one example, if I, and I, I hate to pick individual examples, but let's pick one to just talk about one example, the Burundong Fishing Classic. So they ask for $10,000. The recommendation is they get $5,000, but it's estimated that, that event, which will happen from the 29th to 31st of March next year, will deliver $1.6 million in the community. And I've been down to the Burnham Fishing Classic. I opened it there for them one year. And the number of people there, and I talked to a few people that have travelled from all over the state to be there, they stay there for a few days, they spend money in the community. So it's that type of thing where they really are delivering some economic benefits. Even the WL Steadford, so they asked for $10,000, $5,000 is what's been recommended for them. Now, the WL Steadford is a lot of local people that are competing. I mean, you've competed in the WL Steadford various times times over the years, plenty of times. And so there's lots of people from Dubbo that compete in something like in Steadford, but people travel from other locations as well. So they typically stay overnight. They'll spend money at cafes, spend some money with maybe some local outlets. So the economic benefit that was estimated from that particular event was $156,000. And so when you look at that, you say, well, if we take $5,000 of ratepayers' money and we generate $156,000 in our community, that sounds pretty good. So there's a number of those. Motorfest was an event that started for the first time this year. Very successful. They asked for $8,000. Recommendation for them is $5,000. They've estimated $780,000 for the community. So it's these type of events, but these can grow as well. And sometimes this money is to help them get started. Sometimes it just helps them get up and going, and then they'll get to the stage where they're big enough they won't need that money from Dubbo going further, money from council going further, because they'll build it up to that size. So whenever we can help those organisations, we like to. Obviously, we've only got a limit in terms of our budget, though. The prestigious Rhino Awards are coming up. How many businesses and how good is this event for the community? It is fantastic. And we do have a really good chamber. The Debo Business Chamber is a fantastic chamber. In fact, it's often been held up 
across the state as one of the best chambers in terms of the way they operate. But the Rhino Awards, very prestigious Rhino Awards. I think one of the things that I often talk about is the fact that just entering the Rhino Awards in itself gives you a bit of a snapshot of your business because you're asking or you're answering questions that have been asked by someone externally. So you've got to have a think about your business. So I think anyone that enters the Rhino Awards, straight away they're having a bit of an external look at their business. If they make it through as a finalist, that's a little bit of a pat on the back to say you've done well. You've actually made a good contribution. Your business is going well. And then if you win one of those Rhino Awards, I think it's a really big morale boost for your staff, but also a great advertising process. These Rhino Awards have been going since 1996. They've been, I think, every year it seems that they outdo themselves, which is hard to do for that long. But again, I just think it's a real example of the strength of the business community we have here in Dubbo. So well done to the Dubbo Business Chamber. They do do a wonderful job. They've got a volunteer committee that does wonderful work there. And I'm really looking forward to going along to the Rhino Awards on Friday night. And is there any, how many businesses have actually received or were nominated this year? Is it kind of growing each year? I don't actually know the number. I do talk to the chamber on a regular basis and we we have regular meetings there. And I know the last time I spoke to them, I didn't have the exact number, but they did tell me that the entries have picked up. They did drop down during COVID. And as you can imagine, for a whole range of reasons, there were so many things to focus on. And it was hard for a business to really show they were doing wonderful work when they might have been in a lockdown phase. But the entries have picked up. And so this year, they've increased dramatically over the last couple of years. But I don't know the exact number, sorry. And I'm sure the Dubbo Business Chamber will listen to this and ring me up and tell me the exact number mm-hmm. straight away. But it has been a really strong entry process for them this year. Now, I believe you have a limerick that you have created specifically for today. Do we get the pleasure of listening to that today? Is it any surprise to you that I do a limerick each and every week? No. <laughs> I know your ringtone's already been changed to a new limerick, so I look forward to hearing this new limerick. Well, I do do a limerick each week, and I do like to surprise Mark, the normal host, with the limerick, and it's obviously about a topic that happened during the week. So here goes my limerick for this week. When the usual host took a break, the mayor thought, who better to take? With Georgie aboard, the listeners were floored. The chemistry no one could fake. Brilliant. I couldn't have done it better myself. I wish I came prepared with one for you, but you might have to wait for another time. <laughs> You've got a week to prepare the next one. Depends where the mark's back next week. Yeah, I'll start working on it now. Thanks for your guest hosting this week. You're welcome. I hope the listeners uh, enjoyed the sound of my voice and uh, maybe I'll have to make an appearance another time. Sounds good. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.